every poll I see, right? Every poll I see says that at least 80% of Pennsylvanians want universal health care. Like, why can we get this through? And they're like, well, the Democrats and Republicans both don't want it done. I'm like, well, that's like, who? You know? Then I went back and a couple months later, there was um, another bill on the table that said that every Pennsylvanian, right, 18 and older, right, if, if you find it right, you can buy a new handgun for yourself every 30 days, right? So if you find it right, every year you can get yourself 13 handguns and you got to jump down by, by Democrats and Republicans. We live in a country that continues to choose liberty and freedom for the We live in a country with a government that's paralyzed and watching us cannibalize one another and they're doing nothing. And it's hard not to feel bitter when the government is supposed to at least make us, you know, we can regulate pseudofed. But if you make the right thing back from the pseudofed, it might kill you. But you can't regulate guns, even though it is. And so it's hard not to feel this or a batch of lands, and I think what we can hold on to is that God is still more powerful than even those who are Because they may make choices that lead to death and destruction, but our God is going to lead to healing. And what I love is that the center of the basket, and you have to understand that the Old Testament and most of the New Testament was written on these scrolls, right? And so the scrolls were rolled up into the center, into the middle of two sides, right? And so the closest you have in our culture and context, you say, what's the crust of the matter? What's the center of it all? And it comes from this idea because whenever they open up the scroll, if you wanted to read the whole thing, you would open it up and you would start here and you would work your way across, right? But some of us, we like to read the back of the book before we know what we're getting into, right? So what would happen is the crux, the center of the scroll, would be for the writer, the most important thing they wanted you to know. Because they know as you open and fold both rolls apart, what's the first thing in the middle you're going to see? And so the middle of the back is what? The dead will live. Thank you. 
because as we've been celebrating this this Easter uh, type season, right, where we celebrate that Jesus has come, that Jesus resurrected, what does resurrection life look like? It's living out of faith. Today, the World Wide Church celebrates Ascension Sunday, which is to say that the work is finished. Jesus left heaven to come to earth. He lived in love to show us how to live in love. He died on top of his tree. He's dead for three days. He was resurrected onto new life. He's now gone to heaven to make it perfect for us. The work is finished. What does resurrection life look to us? It's living out of faith. And so the theme that we've been beating upon James for weeks now is the simple idea that our faith must show up in what we believe and how we live and what we do. But the echo in our passage is normal. We read James 2, 14 to 26. You hear James almost quoting or building on what he learned from his brother. You hear James quoting and building on what he learned from his Savior, Jesus Christ. And that simple eternal truth is what? Every tree will be known by the tree. The apple tree does not grow orange. The grapevine does not grow higher. Every tree will look like the tree. So if you think this morning about faith and life, may we be challenged to not only win on the Lord, to not only trust the Lord, but to realize that our job now is to live faithfully, and to live by faith in a way that helps our sisters and brothers. If you have your Bible, turn up here to James chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 14 to 26. We'll also have it up front as well, so you can follow there. James 2, starting at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? To both a brother or sister without clothes and daily food, if one of you says to them, Go and keep, keep warm and well fed, but there's nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that in the You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless or dead? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was God, he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, what about Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without the means. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that this morning we can come to you with our we can come to you with our confusion. We can come to you with our pain. We can come to you with our pain with our questions. God, we thank you that not only can you hold it, but you can transform it. So, Lord, we say that in this and in all things, that we're trusting you. But we ask now that you build our trust in you, for we know you're good, for we know you're merciful, for we know that in the end you were right all the wrong. So, Lord, we pray right now that where we're doubting, we can get so empty. That where we feel empty, we can be filled up by your spirit. That where we feel lost, we can recognize them as grounding you. So, Lord, help us and build our trust in you. And, Father God, we pray also that you teach us how to wait for your justice now. 
for how to live by faith by reason. So God, we thank you for all you've called us to, for who you've called us to, for where you've placed us at. Help us to be faithful together. And Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you that you have called us not to a life of a faith person, but you have called us to live out our faith by serving you. So help us to be a people who are committed to not only our God, but also to our life. Help us to be a people who are committed to serving you and how we love one another. And help us to try so that they may see our things, they may see our work, and glorify our Father in heaven. In the holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Last week, James, in the earlier first half of this chapter, talked about how faith again must show up in your beliefs and practice. How he does it is by, by talking to God's people, right? That God's declaring himself for saying that we are God's chosen people. We are the ones who are bought by Christ's blood. We are the ones that Jesus not only died for to buy back, but we belong to God as we belong to each other. But we also then have to look like our God. One of the most frightening things about becoming a parent, right, is that your children will look like you. That was just being a physical piece. Well, like, first of some of us can get by, like, hey, you know, lay down on the mother, lay down on the father, right? The frightening thing to me is that they will look like you in characteristics, in personality, and, and it doesn't make sense because sometimes they take the worst aspects of your personality, right? But I'm working on that one. When I look at my father, I'm choosing mercy over judgment, right? That's what I'm choosing to do after last year. But the, 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 the truth is, right, part of, you know, birthing and raising children is you get this duty of not just growing them up in the faith, you get this duty of choosing them what the faith is supposed to look like. And every child is going to look like their parents in some way. And this is kind of what James is building on here. And, and, and Paul does it, and John does it, and even Jesus does it. If you belong to God, you must look to God. If you love Jesus, you must love like Jesus. If you're part of this family, you must work not for me and mine, but you must work for this family. So that the character of those who belong to God, like you said, they see and cannot see. So whereas the world looks at the outside, God looks at the essence of a person. While the world values things like, like money and, and education and, and social status and all those important things for the world, God values things like character. Like loyalty, like faithfulness, like love, like care for your neighbor, the royal love, loving the neighbor as yourself. So we're challenged that we're going to look like our Father to see as God sees. And part of seeing as God sees is remembering the poor. And it was true in Genesis, it was true in James, it's true today. We as people love to exalt the rich. We love to exalt the rich. Some of us, even from our pulpit, we teach that, well, you got money to God is what you we live in a society and culture that exalts the rich. I think you can make an argument that James seems to think if you're rich, rich, I mean, rich, 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 you may not belong in a kingdom. Because what James is going to keep pushing throughout this whole epistle is if your money matters more than your sister and your brother, you really belong to Jesus. If your status matters more than your sister and your brother, you really belong to Jesus. If everything matters more than your God, you really belong to Jesus. So see if God sees, but remember the poor. And he's not just talking about the poor in spirit, which is the people who said, like, yeah, life hasn't told me everything, but I will trust my God through everything. The poor in spirit are the people who just emptied out so God's important is. But Jesus is going to keep bringing in this up. As long as you're a Christian,
divided. So I say, well, how much of this is going to the poor? And that's the challenge. Because James is saying everything that you have belongs to God. And if you're only setting up your budget for me and mine, and you're forgetting the poor, you truly belong to Jesus. Because the thing about the poor is that they're not just your sisters and brothers, but if they are indeed your sisters and brothers in the family of God, they belong to God and they belong to you. So it's not just enough for you to give them a seat at the table. Right? It's enough for you to treat them like brothers and sisters. But if you've been blessed, you should be living to give a blessing. So to be seen as God's seed, to remember the poor, and to be seen mercy over judgment. Not just that we're right, but that we're loving. Not just that, you know, we're, we're, we're like, we're doing things the right way, but we're loving people in the way that they can receive. And so that's where James starts. He says, God doesn't want us to show favoritism to anyone. God doesn't care if you're rich, you're poor, you're educated, and you're not, right? God wants to know, are you my son? Are you my daughter? Are you living this way? See as I see. Remember the poor. Choose mercy over judgment. And then we get to this week. And this week, James is going to kind of make it simple, right? In our culture, in our Christianity, for thousands of years now, we've struggled with this thing, right? And we try to put Paul against James on this, right? We say, is it safe or is it worse, right? That pulls this verse out of context and it says, safe. And I pull this one and it seems to be saying worse, right? The thing is, faith and words are not diametrically opposed. Right? Like, I love the quote by C.S. Lewis. He says it like this, right? Regarding the debate about faith and words, it's like asking which blade in the pair of scissors is most important. Right? Like, if you take out one blade of the scissors, you don't have to. It's pretty simple, right? You got a blade, right? You're left with that cutting paper. The idea here is they're not diametrically opposed, but they are supposed to come together. So it's not faith versus words, it's faith and words. So we as God's people, we who have been loved with a love that God loved us, we who have been chosen and brought by the blood of Jesus, what does it look like to have faith and words together? Because that's what God's people are going to look like, right? And they're going to live in a way that proves that they belong to God and to each other. So we think about faith and work. The first question we have on the plate this morning is, how am I living in a way that shows that I belong to God? How am I living in a way that shows that I belong to you? How am I living in a way that shows it's not just about me and mine? It's not just about my hopes and dreams, my future. How am I living in a way that shows that I belong to God? Because that's the character of the adopted boy. That's the character of God's people. I think the only way we can answer that is by uniting faith and words. But what does that look like? Well, the first one is it has to be holistic, meaning that your faith has to show up in your beliefs, in your life, in your practice. Your faith can't just be a prayer that you pray one time, right? And your faith can't just be your identity, like, I'm a Christian, or I'm a brother that Christ, I'm a kind of Baptist, I follow Jesus, right? I love people who think they invent stuff, like, are you a Christian? No, but I'm a Jesus follower. I'm like, wow, that's original. That's very original. Good job, buddy. That's the first thing we ever said thousands of years ago. But I'm glad you think that's original, right? It doesn't matter what your identity is. It doesn't matter what prayer you say. According to Jesus, I think according to the right reading of Paul, but more importantly, according to Jesus, if you believe, it has to come into place. Your belief is important, but so is your life and your practice. So think about your family. Think about the blocks you live on. 
Think about the people you go to school with. Think about the people you work with. Do they know that you belong to Jesus? The harder ones to come over to do they know that you belong to them? That they belong to you? Do they know that we're in this thing together? Every single time you hear a Christian talk about how exercise the world is, how the fighting is we are, may we be reminded of so do we truly live in a way that we belong to each other? Because if our faith is holistic, it'll be belief in life and practice. And that kind of holistic faith is also transformative. Why is it transformative? Because what you know in your head, what you hold in your heart, is also felt within you. James in this passage talks about, you know, if a sister or brother comes to you and you're hungry, right? And you say, hey, good luck. And if they're cold and naked, you say, hey, I hope you're warm. I fear none of us will ever do that. But in practice, we do that. How we set up our lives and how we set up the things that are important to us. How are we living in a way, right? That's that providing food for those who are hungry, providing shelter for those who don't have it. Because if our faith is transforming, that means our faith must be willing to meet people where they're at. That means our holistic, transformative faith must be able to meet people mentally, spiritually, psychologically, even financially, right? Jesus talks about money probably more than any other thing that we don't like to talk about. But everything needs to come under Christ and be for the kingdom. And this holistic faith of belief and compassion is transformative because they go head, heart, and hand, but it's also transformative because they meet us with him. I don't know where you were when God first met you. I don't even know where you are this morning if God is meeting you. But praise God who met you where you are. Praise God who didn't just see potential, but saw you. You belong to Because that same God who meets us where we're at wants us to have a faith that's communal. We do it too often when we think about our faith. The answer to the question is how are God and I doing? How are you doing in your faith? We have to remember the scriptures and the, the Old Testament and New Testament people were communal people. So maybe the better way to look at our faith. It's not to look at it as, you know, think vertically up and down, but also try to go horizontally. I think the Jewish idea of Shalom helps us with this, right? Because it says, how are me and God doing? How are me and my sister doing? How are me and my brother doing? How are me doing with my block and my environment and my, my city, even my country, my world? How are we doing communally? Because I think that is the word. If we're willing to say our faith, has to meet belief, yes. Has to be in practice, has to be shown in our life, has to be head, heart, and hands, has to be communal so that we're reaching the people all around us. That is a faith that's alive. And James kind of contrasts that, right? If your faith is holistic, transformative, communal, it is living out your faith. But if your faith isn't holistic, if it's not transformational, if it's not communal, it's not meeting people where they're at, you're either living out your faith or dying in the like either we're living out what we believe, 
or a daily in ourselves. And I didn't say daily in this case, right? Because there's plenty of us who could be such good Christians that we pay for eight to ten hours a day. And that's wonderful. And maybe that eight to ten hours out of three clubs out of six for us. The thing is, if your faith is only about you in the room, and it's never about love for your neighbor, and it's never about not working what you believe so it impacts other people for good, and it's never about turning other people to Jesus, now, we gotta get this. You gotta forget this point out because, right? Dying to self, good. Dying in self, bad. This is what I mean by that. Dying to self means like these things that are keeping me from God, let's check them out. Dying in self means that my faith is only for me. It doesn't matter how it touches you. Dying in self means that I am dying because I'm only focused on me, and that's not what faith is supposed to be about. It's never just about me and mine, it's always me and mine. So how is your faith looking like me and us? Because the thing is, if we're not living out our faith, then we're sad. If we're sadness, we're not growing. And if we're not growing, we don't feel like the plant in my office is fighting for dear life. That's why we have to live on it. So how then, right? If we want to be holistic, transformative, communal, we want to be alive. What does it look like? Well, I think there's two simple breakdowns here, right? One, faith has to be more than what you know and what you believe. We have to understand that the Jewish understanding of faith is very practical. Now, as young young people, they might memorize a, a part of the Torah, they might memorize a part of the law, they might be cited, right? This is a culture that wasn't as learned as we are in the sense of they did not ask us to, so like, we can go on Google and just type in Bible and stuff comes out, we can read free on the phone, right? But they can actually do something wild, like buy a Bible, like a physical book, right? Like, they can do those things in this culture. They did not ask us to that. So while they would memorize the things from, from old, from, from young, they have to hold on to principles. And one of the principles of the Jewish faith, or two principles I want to highlight, is, is hospitality and almsgiving. Hospitality was so important to them because, again, God says, remember you were slaves in Egypt, but I came for you. How dare you forget the poor among you? That's why Jesus can tell parables, but I know it's 3 a.m. and you're sleeping, but if they're not going to door for bread, you better get them bread. Hospitality to this day was so important to those cultures because it was a way to show love upon people who needed it. Now, I'm giving is another one, right? And this isn't just, oh, you can tie to the church, right? I'm giving was so embedded in the culture that we tend to think of it as legalistic. We tend to think of it like, you know, they just get in that, you know, they just get to the poor, right? What if that was a critique for us, right? Don't be like, oh, man, I like the hang budget. He just gets to the poor. He's legalistic about it, right? I'm giving was so embedded in the culture that to not give actively to the poor was seen as a sign that you don't believe. Saying that, like, again, we can look at the legalistic aspect of like, well, their heart wasn't really in it, they just did it to do it, right? But they did it. And largely, James is speaking to a church that wasn't doing it. And so, for James, the practicality of Jewish faith says that, like, if I believe in this God who's the one God, the God above all things, I'm going to love my neighbor by hospitality, I'm going to love my neighbor by providing from what I have, because the call to remember the poor was fundamental. I don't know if there's anything else in Scripture 
that shows up more in loving the care for the widow's work than love the poor. You think about anything else in our faith, right? There's nothing that shows up more in Scripture than something around that theme of love for others. Faith has to be more than what you know and believe. You have to live it. And one of the ways you live it is by practically being hospitable, by practically loving, by practically giving, yet even in a way that's costly to you. The second part about faith, right, is that it has to be shown in your actions. And I love to see people that gave it to First one is Abraham. Right? Like that is like literally like, like some of us grew up in Sunday school and the answer to all of Jesus. You know, you're not going to struggle, but you know Jesus involved somewhere. And then you get the Sunday school teacher existential crisis. And like, who killed Goliath? Jesus. They're like, no, that was David. I was like, but isn't Jesus God? Wasn't God with him? Did David really come? But it's Jesus killed. Maybe that was just me in Sunday school. I'm sorry. I just, I apologize. It's the Perini. Um, and the truth is, Faith is shown in actions, and Abraham is the easy answer to the Jewish people. Who is the God of faith? Abraham. Father Abraham, right? Remember, Abraham, or at the time, Abram, was from another place. And God shows up to him and says, Hey, Abram, I need you to go. And Abram's like, Yes, voice in my head of this God who's God who I don't really know yet. Yes, where are we going? He's like, I will show you. That sounds great. Let's go to the place you will show me, right? And so Paul, when he talks about it, talks about the great faith of Abram to be able to just hear God, breathe God, and go. But James is like, no, 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 no. Paul's talking about the calling of God in your life. And the act of faith has to improve, has to show faith and work together. So for James, it wasn't just, oh, God called Abram. For James, he's like, no, no, no. Remember Isaac. And you have to remember, right? Abraham wasn't always this great deacon of faith. He may have heard God and gone to the promised land, but he also lied twice about Sarah being a sister. Right? Because he looked at the kingdom and was like, hmm, she's kind of pretty, and I don't really want to lose her, so like, we're just going to say that my sister, because, you know, we're kind of related anyway, right? So Abraham wasn't, or Abraham wasn't always this deacon of faith, but in the story of Isaac, after, right? He had gone his own way and chosen to kind of force God's prophecy by having a child with Hagar and then sending Hagar away. Again, not a beacon of faith, Abraham, right? But in this Isaac, Abraham finally gets it. What he gets is that even when God asks the impossible, if I'm obedient, God will glorify me. And so when you think about the Abraham and Isaac thing, it's not, oh, this is child, you know, sacrifice. So the question that God is asking Abraham is, Anything in your life matter more than me? Are you willing to put everything on the altar? And how Abraham's faith shows up is not by knowing the end, right? Abraham goes into that situation saying, you know what? I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know I got God, and God's on my side, and God has made the promise, I know it's going to work out. And that's faith. Because if we knew how perfectly it was going to work out, you didn't even need to have Right? Like, if you know you're hungry and you're eating your food, right? But you don't need to have faith. Like, that's what's going to happen. But Abraham goes to that altar because he trusted God and what God said and what God would do. He didn't know how it was going to work out. He just knew that it was going to work out. And I hope there's something in there for you to hold on to today. You're going to some aspect of your life, but you don't know how it's going to work out. I'm saying, trust God that it's going to work out, even if it's impossible. But what if it's dangerous? I love Rahab's response. Because the 
so many people who keep her in this box of like, great Abba's a prostitute, right? And that's supposed to be all that she is. So let's break down Rahab because he's the polar opposite of Abraham. If Abraham is the father of all things that's good, Rahab is everything that's an outsider. Number one, she's a woman. In that culture, like our own, doesn't value women as we should, right? Number two, she's from Jericho. She's not of the promised land, right? That's why I like to remind people when we say that God has been working on the multi-corporate kingdom from Genesis to Revelation, we need to realize that the nation of Israel wasn't all heretical, heretical. Hereditary Jews, right? It wasn't just all by genetics, right? It was people who believed, and you see that starting in Egypt. Because who leads them after the twelve? It isn't just the Jews, it's anyone who saw God move and believed, right? So Rahab is a woman. She's from Jericho, but she's an outsider of the people of God, right? She's a prostitute. She's definitely not a prophet like Abraham, right? She is the fun part, parents. Don't unhook the two children. So I'm glad to get in here. She lied. Right? It's a fun Sunday school story. It's like, she lied. But she lied to save God. And the thing about Rahab is that you have to understand the behavior of her teacher. As a woman, she's in danger in that culture. As a prostitute, she's in danger in that culture. As a traitor, she's in danger in that culture. And yet, and Joshua too, I believe, she said, I've heard about your God. I've heard about the things your God has done. I've heard about the God of yours who's part the Red Sea, who's destroying kingdoms. I don't know him perfectly well, but I want to be on his kingdom. And I love that Rahab takes her future and trusts God with her future. Again, she didn't know how it was going to end up, but she knew she was going to trust I think that's beautiful. And now, generations later, we don't have to say, oh, Rahab is a prostitute. You know what we can call right now? The great great grandmother of David, Israel's greatest king. You know what we can call right now? One of three women that's chauvinistic, right? Male dominant, male only men couldn't keep out of the genealogy of Jesus. You know what a miracle it is for a woman to make the genealogy of Jesus in that culture? In fact, most of that culture, like, like I think it's one of the genealogies of Jesus, they didn't want to say it went through Mary, right? And so I think it's either Luke or Mark Matthew's version, actually, right? But in one of the verses, they used Mary's dad instead of using Mary. Like, that's how male and chauvinistic the culture was. It's just like, Jesus, the one of the things that we know Jesus is the Messiah, since he comes from the line of David, both through Joseph and both through Mary. Like, it's incredible, right? But in the talking about Mary, they give credit to her dad, not even her. That's the chauvinistic culture that they were in, yet many have made a living. Because God saw her too. God knew that she trusted God, even though she knew And that spirit of Rahab is what I pray for when I think of Christians today who are doing the same thing. Who to believe in Jesus is to put their life in danger. Who can trust God is to be at any given point of being able to lose it all. And so when you look at Abraham, you look at Rahab, you both know that they knew God, but they were known by God. And you also know that faith for them wasn't just what they believed. Faith for them was action and practice and obedience and trusting God to help. And then James ends with this forever truth. Because they left it. 
not take present work to think in work. Why? Because faith without work is dead. Just like your body without the spirit is dead, faith without work is dead. I'm standing before you. But this body I wear is a shell. It's only showing you the, 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 the showing you my physical body, but not the essence of who I am. And so for James, faith is the shell. Like you need your body to be alive, right? You have your body, you're not alive. But also, if you don't have the spirit to echo who you are, you're not alive either. So if you don't want to be walking questions, you have to keep faith in your William Barclay says, no person will ever be moved to action without faith. And no one's faith is real until it moves them to action. They have to go together. Right? Because when they come together, whether it's the blaze of the scissors or moving us to action or coming to action because of faith, it reminds us that we belong to God and each other. Because if you're living out your faith in a way that's impacting the world around you, that's going to be proof that you belong to each other. But I also love this quote from Teresa Calcutta. And she said it like this, the famous nun said this, We all know only too well that what we are doing here is nothing more than a drop in the ocean. But if the drop were not there, the ocean would be missing. All of us can be a drop in the ocean. And it's not just about the ocean missing. I love to say this because I think it's one of the greatest truths I've ever seen. Only you, and I'll tell you my name, ready, ready, I'll put that to only you know who you are. Only you have the gifts that you have. Only you have the relationships that you have, right? I can go to someone that you've been praying for for 30 years and you've known for 15 years, and I can say, Jesus loves you, but I guarantee you it'll ring more true when it comes from you. So we think about the impact that we can have, whether it's with our gifts, our skills, our, uh, our abilities, or our relationships, or our prayers, all these things, right? Are we willing to be that drop in the ocean? Because until every and the last person is saved, the kingdom will be missing something. So like Teresa Calcutta, are we willing to say, yes, I'm going to be faithful to what God has given me so that something isn't missing? But more than something, someone isn't missing. Because faith and work is our work down here. You know, I told the story about the politicians who let me down, right? About how in the state of Pennsylvania, somehow, some way, it's unconstitutional to buy 13 handguns a year, right? Like, it's madness to me, but that's the world we live in, right? But I also know that for all of us, our God calls us to make change in this world. For all of us, God calls us to make an impact in this world. I don't know where your impact is. I don't know where your faith is going to take you. I don't know the work that God is calling you to do. I don't even know where God is calling you to go. You might be here, might be on the other side of the world. I don't know who God is calling you to. But every single person in this room who believes has a place God wants them, has people God calling them to, has work for God to do. And if you hold on to that work, you can hold on to these words of John Wesley who said, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, for this very place, for these very people, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than our God? Oh no, sisters and brothers, be not weary of doing well. Whatever God calls you to, whoever God calls you to, the people God calls you to, do not be weary of doing well. Because in peace, we get to partner with God 
the right thing on. In faith, we get to prove our God more powerful than our world. And this faith has to be in God. I'm going to end with this quote from Teresa Ansel. I love it so much. She says, What value is there in faith without life? And what are they worth? They are not united to the marriage of Jesus Christ, our only marriage. So foundationally, it's faith and work. But if we want to change the world, there has to be faith and work. United with Jesus to see is our value before our times Amen? I call the worship team up. We're going to end um, singing a, a song I think we sang before around these parts. But as we sing this song about how God loves us and how we will be known by our love we have, I just want to call us to this simple idea of not making a safe person's work, but letting our work fly. And if you're in here, one any other pastor like to invite you up, we'd love to pray for you. If there's something in the, the service that you want to respond to, we'd love to pray for you. If you have ideas or, or thinking about, hey, where God's calling you to, we'd love to pray about that. Or maybe there's someone in your life, someone on your heart that you've been praying for, you saying, this is who God called me to, we'd love to pray for you about that too. Or maybe it's just asking God, you know, I don't know how to hold all this injustice that I'm seeing, we'd love to pray for you that too. But as we sing this song, when we hold on to our God who's good, and then we remember that not only will all things be right in the end, but that right now, God's calling you to do the work with Him. Let's pray for you, God.
Lord, help us to be faithful to you as you have been found. Lord, I trust and submit and submit our wills to you and we pray for your help now as we depart. Lord, help us to be faithful and teach us to live a love that you live in us. Teach us to be people of work that shows our faith and a faith that points others to you. In the holy and precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.